epic story. It's a story about love, and it's a little story about sacrifice, and it's a story about hope. And as I tell the story this morning, I hope, hope you like a good story. A good story for me has, a, has an amazing beginning and an even better ending. And even more than that is a story that it really touches my life is when that story is true. And so this morning, we want to tell you a story, a story that's true, a story that has a great message for each one of us. You know, as we think about that story, and as you come here on Easter Sunday, you might be thinking, you know, I think I've, I think I've heard that story before. In fact, if you're paying attention, as, as Brian was sharing this morning, reading that account in the Gospel of Luke, uh, it was the story of the resurrection. And you're thinking, I, I've heard that every Easter, and can't we have something new on Easter Sunday? But as we think about this familiar story, familiar to most of you, but for some of you it might be a new story, is that there's some details in this story that, that God wants us to understand. He, he wants us to be able to comprehend uh, what that really means for our lives, the impact. It, it's one thing to hear the story. It's, it's one thing to understand the story. And it's, of course, another thing to live it out. You know, think about uh, Easter. And again, as I was thinking about this particular Easter, we just finished a series at Grace Hills Church on, on the best sermon ever. And if you're with us, you realize that that was not because I was preaching that sermon, but we were looking at the best sermon ever preached, and that was a sermon preached by Jesus. And so I was thinking about this Easter, and how, how do I follow up the best sermon ever on, uh, on a Sunday in which we want to have the best sermon ever because it's Easter Sunday. And so what I thought is I'd, I'd look at Jesus, and if Jesus were to preach an Easter sermon, what would it be like? In fact, that's exactly what we're going to see this morning. So in many ways... If you are listening at all, you'll hear the best Easter sermon ever because it's a sermon that was preached by Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. The rest of the passage will probably be in your outline this morning. If you're getting a little nervous, we'll get through it. But as you think about it, that Jesus arrived on the scene and he lived a sinless life. He, he talked about a death that was going to come, that he was going to die a death on a cross. He would be crucified. And then he said something alarming to them. He said, but that grave will not hold me. And that three days later, I will rise again. But it's interesting enough, those who had heard that story, he had, they had been with him for three years and heard it over and over and over again. They didn't quite get it. And so Jesus, after uh, he rose from the dead on that particular Sunday, Easter Sunday, he preaches a sermon. But he preaches that first sermon, that first Easter sermon to a rather small crowd, uh, just a couple people. In fact, basically what he does, he, he takes a walk with them. Can you imagine spending some time with an important person and maybe a leisurely time where you could just take a, a long walk? Well, that's what happened to a couple people on the road to Emmaus, a seven-mile walk, a little bit longer than a 10K for those who like to run. And Jesus explains the epic story of love and sacrifice and hope. And really what I want to do this morning, I want to tell you what I'm going to say before I say it. Uh, though there's a lot of details that we might share with you this morning, there's really just some simple things that Jesus wanted to tell those who were hearing him that day. He wanted them to understand that they must believe, they must repent, and they must be convinced. And no matter how many times you've heard about Jesus and Easter and the empty tomb and Jesus appearing to so many, it's all about you understanding that you must believe, you must repent, and you must be convinced. And really what we have here is we have Jesus telling the why of the Easter story. And then he'll turn to a rather large book, the first two-thirds of the book we call the Bible. 
And he looks at the Old Testament telling the who of the Easter story. The why and the who of the Easter story. In Luke chapter 24, we, we hear Jesus telling us the why the Easter story. As he speaks to a couple men. Begin with verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling at the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they answered, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he, Jesus, said to them, and this is, this is on that Sunday 2,000 years ago after he had departed from the grave. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with me and we have with another as you walk and are sad? And then one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Jesus, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have yet not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus says to them, What things? And I don't want to make a simple comment here. Whenever Jesus asked a question, he was never looking for information. He was ready to make a point. My wife does that to me all the time, right? Well, Jesus, he knew the answer to that question, but he wanted them to understand what that was all about. And so he go, they go on and they, in verse 19, and they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and in word before God and the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And that's what Friday was all about. And we call it Good Friday, not because uh, the death of an innocent man was good, but because the impact of that one solitary life could make an all of human history. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, it's interesting here as we look at this, this statement right here. Again, as Jesus preaches the first Easter sermon, and he's going to preach the why of, of Easter, he's speaking to a couple people who, who should have already believed, which is going to be his first point. He said, we were hoping that he was the one, the one that was promised, the Messiah, the Christ, who was going to buy back Israel, was going to make all things new. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since those things happened. They expressed that they were hoping this was to be true, but they weren't convinced. But they recognized this was the day in which it was either going to be confirmed or not confirmed that it actually was the Messiah who was promised. Verse 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Uh, just a quick note here. I was, I was watching a, a, a video of a TV program in which there were a number of guys, a couple guys on it, in which they were they were entertaining a radio and a TV audience, asking people to call in. And they were people who did not believe the story. In fact, they didn't believe anything in the Bible. They didn't believe anything about Christianity. And one of the things they were asking the callers to call in and to say, why did they believe? And uh, the, the one that was recorded on the excerpt I saw came and just pleaded with them to believe in Jesus. But they came back and asked, well, but why do you believe? Just, just tell us why you believe. And the person said, well, there's all kinds of reasons. They said, just give us your best. At that point, he was silent. You know what the best reason to believe in Jesus? 
It's because of the resurrection, the empty tomb. And, and see, as you look at that, as you look at why do we believe this is more than just a, a story, a good story with a, a great ending, but it's not necessarily true. Because as you look at that tomb in which Jesus and Nazareth was placed, when they came to see it, it was empty. And not only that, after the fact, there were all kinds of witnesses who saw that Jesus had risen from the dead. I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't mind going to a court of law and having multiple witnesses on my behalf. In fact, there's a record of 13 appearances of Jesus for 40 days after he rose from the dead. And at one time, there were 500 eyewitnesses. And so he was beginning to plead with them to, to understand what had happened, but they didn't get it. But it's interesting when Jesus appealed to their reason for their faith, it wasn't based on his resurrection at this point. It was another main reason we ought to believe. And that's because of what has been said in the, in the past about Jesus in the present, which is true now in the future. He goes on in verse 25. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Why do we believe? It's not only because of the resurrection, because of the fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament. Everything that was said in the past came true in Jesus. Ought not the Christ to have suffered those things and to enter into his glory? What's the why of, of Easter? It's not just simply knowing the events and putting them in some kind of orders. Understand that Jesus did that to call us to that point where we have to decide. We have to decide whether this is true or not true. We have to decide whether we believe or we don't believe. We have to decide whether we're going to trust in him as the one who is going to be the savior the one who deals with our sin or, or reject it. One of the things I always do when I watch a movie, and one of those kind of uh, amazing movies like, I don't know, like X-Men or Transformers, and I, and I always turn to Alice right in the middle and I go, is this a true story? <laughs> and she gives me that look every single time. This is a true story. And Jesus appealed to their mind, not just to their, their passions or their Wishful thinking. You should have believed all that was in the prophets concerning me. The Easter story, the why, is it Jesus called people to believe. But I want to illustrate that in another way, or I want to make that even more pointed. Turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48. And if you're not turning there, just listen to read. Then Jesus said, and now he has another crowd with him, his other disciples. And he said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And then he goes on and says this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you were witnesses of these things. He calls them not only to believe. But then he says as this message goes out. And I don't know how many people you think are alive now in the world. Anywhere between six and seven billion. Uh, the estimate is two thirds of that. Six to seven billion. Four. More than 4 billion people are in a place like this, hearing a message like this. Doesn't mean they all believe, but they're hearing this message. And when he says this, when this message goes out, people are called to repent. Now, repent is a very biblical word. It's kind of a religious word. What do you mean by repent? Well, the word is really simple. It really means literally to change your mind. And even more practically means change your direction. Have you ever gone over uh, the 
down the 555 freeway toward Newport and even at the Costa Mesa area. And if you get off by the fairgrounds, and then maybe you're in the fairgrounds and you come back toward the freeway, you have to make a decision if you're not going to go on the freeway. If you decided to turn on right before the freeway is there, you can only go one of two ways. But if you go the opposite way, it's the wrong way. It's the one-way street. Well, you know, I got that figured out because I came off that way. It was a one-way street. And then I go across the other side of the freeway, and I'm thinking, I can go either way now, left or right. Well, I went right the way I went before, but I found out that, no, on the other side of the freeway, you have to make a left. You ever been on the wrong way of a one-way street? That's what repentance is all about. It's coming to that point in your life that, you know, I'm going down the wrong path. And the message of Jesus, the why of Easter, is that you've got to decide, hey, do you believe or do you not believe? Is this true or not true? But even if you believe it's true, are, are you going to change your ways by saying, God, I want to go your way, not my way? That's the why of Easter. But, but many of you have come to that point, and you understand that you've heard that. You might not have done that, but you've heard that. But as we look at the greatest Easter story ever preached, each Easter message ever preached, Jesus went on, he said, I want you to be convinced. And that's when he now turned to the Old Testament. And he said, this tells us the who of Easter. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus writes this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scripture, the things concerning himself. And the same idea in verses 44 and 45, he said to the other disciples, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Before you can comprehend something, you must understand something. And before you Give your faith to someone, you better know who you're putting your faith in. And before you change your directions, you better know which direction you're going to be headed. And so what Jesus did on that Easter Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday, he appealed to them to make sure they understood who he is. When we call people to follow Jesus Christ, to become Christians, little Christs, people who are convinced that he is the one to, to trust in completely for their life, is we want people to know who Jesus is. It's interesting, as you read this account, when they said, have you not heard what's happened in Jerusalem, Jesus of Nazareth? Why didn't they just say Jesus? Because there were a lot of people named Jesus in that first century. They wanted to make sure this stranger who they didn't understand was Jesus at that moment, that it was Jesus of Nazareth who they were talking about. Who is this Jesus? For us to believe and repent, we must be convinced of who he is. And Jesus appealed to the Old Testament. Now, for some of you who, who are here regularly on Sunday morning, I was really tempted this week. Because it said that he went through the whole Old Testament. And there are 27 books in the New Testament, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, so I thought I ought to have 39 points for this section. But I thought I'd bring it down to 10. I'm not sure we'll get through all 10. But let's just look simply at, at, at God's story. 
recorded for us in the scripture. Who is this Jesus? Well, let's begin at the beginning, which is what our next series is beginning, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. Genesis 1.1, probably most of you know that. Let's say it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, God wants us to understand that life is all about him. It's not about us. In the beginning, it's all about God. And now in the beginning, in the middle, and at the very end, it's all about God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what does this have to do about Jesus? Well, if you have your outlines this morning, you can, you can follow along with the text without turning rapidly to these verses. But the Bible is very clear in terms of identifying who was in the Old Testament as it relates to Jesus now in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what's the next phrase there? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. It sounds a whole lot like John, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we can just figure out who the Word was, then we can understand who was with God and was God in that very beginning. But before we do that, what was this Word doing? Verse 3 says this, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. This Word is the Creator. But, but who is this Word? Look at verse 14 in, gospel, in the Gospel of John. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Now, now, whether you believe it or not, at this point, that's not the point. That's the point at the end of the message. But who is the only begotten of the, of the father? What's his name? His name is Jesus. And as Jesus went to these two who were well-versed in the Old Testament, they didn't have a New Testament. They, they had spent many, many years studying the Old Testament, but they hadn't gotten it yet because they hadn't seen the promised Messiah and who he was to be. And it's very clear here that the Bible tells us, as we think of who Jesus is, is he is the creator. He is fully God. You know, as you think about the two most significant days on the religious calendar, that's the most important calendar for all of you out there, right? You, you have a religious calendar? No. You know, as you think about a, a calendar of events for Christians or for people who go to church, th- there are two significant ones. One rotates the exact calendar day, but that's, that's Easter. The other one happens on December 25th, and that's what? Christmas. Can I submit this to you very, very simply? You cannot understand Easter unless you understand Christmas. And if it was on December 25th right now, I would say this. You can't understand Christmas unless you understand Easter. You can't, you can't figure out what's so significant about the cradle unless you understand this is the person who went to the cross and then rose from the dead. See, he is the creator. He is the one who gives life. And so as we come to that point where we are called to believe, trust in him and not ourselves. When we're called to that point, we got to change directions, not live our own life, but his life. 
for that to really happen, we got to be convinced of who Jesus is. And Jesus appealed to those two on the road to Emmaus. He said, didn't you get it? All of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms spoke of me. You should have been convinced already of who that Messiah was and is and is to be. He's the creator. He's the word become flesh. The expression of who God is. You know, God created everything with a word. It was the expression of who he is. And that word became flesh for us. But we could go through all 39 books. Well, we'll just look at a few sections in which Jesus revealed in the Old Testament. Uh, keeping with the, the book of beginning of Genesis. He is the one who defeated Satan. Look at Genesis 3.15. In that section, we have the judgment of God, not only on Adam and Eve, but also the serpent who was the manifestation of, of the evil one, Satan. And he says this, God saying to the serpent to, to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And then the critical point here. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We need to understand that the Christmas story and the Easter story wasn't just thought up, you know, at the last moment by God. From the very beginning, this was his plan. His plan was to take that which brought sin into the world... And then deal with it. And what he said to the, the serpent, to Satan, who thought he had won the battle because he had brought sin in the world through Adam and Eve. He said, you have not won. And what's going to happen? A, a, a seed, someone from the woman will give birth to someone who you will bruise that person's heel. But he will bruise your head. Now, let me ask you, if, if you were going to get hit, would you rather get hit in the heel or would you rather get hit in the head? I'd rather get hit in the heel. And, and what happened, he said, there's going to be a fatal blow given to the evil one. And, and so as we think of, of Jesus, who some see as a, a martyr, as someone who, who was righteous and somehow got condemned and, and we can feel sorry for what happened, the greatest teacher. No, this was exactly God's plan. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Let me put it very bluntly here. As we think the significance of Easter, as Jesus was calling those two to believe and to repent, he was saying, what's most important in life is to settle what happens after life. What, what does it gain a, a person if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Uh, what's ha- going to happen to you? What's going to happen to me when this life ends? In my profession, I have opportunity at times to visit people when they bring birth to new life into this world. But probably more often what I have experience of is of being there when loved ones see loved ones leave this world. And I almost every time say this, we think more about life at death than any other time in life. Everything else that was so important in life just doesn't seem that important anymore. Because that person we care about is no longer there. 
And the greatest hope and comfort I can give is, is not just bringing back cherished memories. But if that person knows the one who has defeated the evil one, dealt with sin in their life, then I can promise that this is just the end of this chapter. And there are many chapters to come because he's the giver of life. Let me ask you, is Jesus your creator? Is, are you convinced that he's the one who's defeated the evil one for your life? Has he been the one who, who's answered the question whether when you die, you'll be going in a de- destination that's filled with joy and the promise of life? I have to admit that many years ago, when I was a lot younger than I am now, I, I finally came to the point in my life, so I, I, I want to know what happens when I die. I, I want to know if there's, there's hope after this life. Jesus broke up a funeral this way. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even when he dies. But then he asked the question, do you believe this? And that's where each one of us have to come to that point. Do, do we understand the why of Easter for us? Are you convinced that he's the creator? He's the one who defeated the evil one? Quickly. Thirdly, he's the acceptable sacrifice. Right after Adam and Eve got thrown out of the garden. We have new life coming into this world. Uh, Cain and Abel were their two, first two children. And, and we have here, interesting, the, 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 the beginning of sacrifices. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And the story is very simple. There were two offerings given, one by Cain and one by Abel. One was a blood sacrifice and one was a, a sacrifice of the garden. And God only accepted one. And the other he rejected. It says in Hebrews 11.4 that, that one was acceptable. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, though, and through it he being dead still speaks. And what is Abel's message to us? That there's only one acceptable sacrifice. And see, as we look at Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. When Moses came on the scene, they had daily sacrifice, both in, through the morning and through the evening. And there was the great sacrifice at the Day of Atonement. But as you think of these sacrifices, one thing they had in common, they had to be repeated over and over and over and over again. And as we think about all that would happen in the Old Testament, we need to understand that it speaks of Jesus because he was going to be the acceptable sacrifice. See, when we when we face God, we can try to face God making us acceptable to him on our own terms. Or by his terms. And let me tell you. When we face God. We better be on his terms. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Because he was the acceptable sacrifice. See Jesus said. All the Old Testament speaks of him. Well how about another familiar story. Have you ever heard the story of. Of uh, uh, the ark. You heard the question, how did, how, many, how did Moses bring on the animals on the ark? You know, two by two by two? No, Moses didn't put on the animals. It was Noah. Okay, anyway. But you know, the story of Noah, 
There's Noah and the ark. And what we have here is he is the ark of salvation. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher hood, gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. A familiar children's story out of the Bible, making the ark for the rains that were to come. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, we have both verses. The first, uh, but let's look at the larger passage. We have this written, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. And I make this point very simply because it's quite possible Jesus would have said this to the two men from Emmaus as he went through the, the Old Testament, the, the, the law of Moses, the, the prophets and the writings, the Psalms. He, he might have gone back to the story of Noah and, and the building that ark. And as Peter made reference to that in one of his uh, books in the New Testament, he said, you need to understand what that ark did. It saved the people through the judgment of the water. But only eight were rescued. You you ever been on a a cruise or been on a cruise ship? Uh, They have some things on the sides of that boat. In fact, before you go, they'll have this uh, process by which they tell you how you can survive a a crash in the middle of the ocean. And, and part of that is to get the people their life jackets on, but they want to get them into the, the lifeboats. And so you miss the whole point of the, the story of, of Noah and the ark if, if you don't understand that that was a, that was a picture of who Jesus is. That Jesus is the ark. He's the lifeboat. He's the one who came to rescue us from God's judgment. You know, what's interesting about that story of Noah, and so often we forget this. You wonder, well, why did only eight get rescued? Because everyone else refused to believe and to repent. Well, maybe they didn't hear the message long enough. Maybe they didn't hear it. Maybe they needed to hear it many more times before they would be convinced. You know, it says of Noah that he preached for 120 years before the ark was completed and the judgment of God came. How many, how many years do we have to live? Some die very young. Some get the joy of, of living a long, maybe even relatively prosperous life. They get to 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Some reach the, the century mark. Very few people last for 120 years. And yet for 120 years, they refused to see that God was going to provide rescue for them. But they chose to go their own selfish ways. And judgment came. You see, as we think about Easter, Easter is a good news story, but there's some bad news. For those who refuse to respond to the points that Jesus made. We must believe. We must repent. We must be convinced. Who is Jesus? He's the creator. 
He's the one who defeats Satan. He's the acceptable, the only acceptable sacrifice. He is the ark of salvation. He's the lifeboat. He's the Passover lamb. We have in, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 23, the, the challenge for the people of Israel to apply the blood to their, their doorposts. So when the, the angel of death came, that they would pass over judgment upon the, the people who had believed in the sacrifice that was given, the lamb that was sacrificed for the, for the, in behalf of rescue. But in the New Testament, it speaks of, of John the Baptist in, in reference to Jesus. In, in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, we need to look at the Old Testament as a, as a picture again of what Jesus was going to do completely. Every year, Passover was repeated in remembrance of what God had done. But Jesus would be the one who, who wouldn't just cover their sins. But he's the one who can forgive us our sins. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 and 12, we have the story of the manna that was sent from heaven. And it makes reference that Jesus, he is the bread of life. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you should be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Why, why did God provide for the people of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness? Because he wanted them to know more than anything else that he singularly was the true God. But they missed the point if it was just simply a, a great story recorded in the past. Because Jesus is the bread of life. In John chapter 6 it says this, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And we spend all of our life trying to survive. And, and, and that's part of what God has given us. He's given us the blessing of work, though work is work. It's a four-letter word. But there's got to be more to life than just going through life. I was reading a story this is, the other day. It was a, a story about a recent graduate of Harvard. He, he had just finished graduating, and he got into a taxi cab, and the taxi cab said, hey, how are things going? He says, great. I'm a, I'm a graduate of Harvard, class of 2011. I can't wait to see what the world has for me. And the taxi driver turned, he said, that's great. My name is Mitch. I'm a Harvard graduate of 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what the world has for you? But do you know what the next world has for you? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes me shall never thirst. Who is this Jesus of Easter? He's the creator. He's the one who defeats Satan. He's the acceptable sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice. He is the ark of salvation, the lifeboat. He is the Passover lamb of God. He is the bread of life. He is the crucified one. In Psalm chapter 22, verses 14 through 18, it basically mirrors the gospel account in John chapter 19, verse 23 and 24. I'm just reading the John account. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier, a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seams, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us tear it, cast lots for it, whose, uh, for, uh, whose it shall be. 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them and my clothing they cast lots. But in the Psalm 22 passage, it speaks about his feet being pierced and hanging on a, on a tree. Do you know that when that psalm was written, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus went to that cross, that form of, of capital punishment had not even been invented. Israel did not even become a province of Rome until 63 B.C. And yet God had always had it in his plans for the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus to suffer. Which was counterintuitive then as counterintuitive now. How can God become man and be willing to suffer the physical pain and the mocking and the scourging of those who rejected him? He did it because he loved us. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who's the bread of life. He's the crucified one. And finally and quickly. He's the one who paid the penalty for our sins. In Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 and 6 it says. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. For we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. Most of us heard the story that, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But what does that mean? What does it mean he died on the cross for our sins? I mean, there were thousands of Jewish people who were, who, who were crucified on a cross. Well, what it means is he died in our place. He took the penalty that we justly deserve. In Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. What are wages? Those are things that you get for what you do. And if you work well, you get paid well. And the Bible is telling us very plainly that the work that we are doing in this world, it doesn't matter how much we compare to somebody else, the wages of our life is going to be death. And when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he took what we deserve for our lifestyle, which is death. He paid the penalty for our sins. And then what Easter is all about. He is the one who rose victoriously. For you will not leave my soul and shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Psalm 16. And then Acts 13 takes that same passage and says, this is applied to Jesus. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will allow your Holy One, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You know how Jesus did not, Experienced corruption in the grave because he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. When David died, he went to the grave and his physical being experienced corruption. But Jesus rose beyond that. Who is this Jesus? He's the creator. He's the one who defeated Satan. He is the acceptable sacrifice. He is the ark of salvation. He is the Passover lamb of God. He's the bread of life. He's the crucified one. He's the one who paid the penalty for our sins. He is the one who rose victoriously. He is the only one. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We would all like to meet God on our own terms, to be able to to set the agenda, how we're going to know him and and be with him. But Jesus did not leave us that option. Either what Jesus says is true or it's not true. Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, 
and the only life. You're not getting there, but through me. Have you ever been disappointed in life? <laughs> I think we've all have been disappointed in life. Uh, for some of you, you're disappointed. I, I heard, I, thought, I mentioned this a couple, couple weeks ago. So many people who don't even play the lottery, played the lottery when it was, you know, 646 billion or whatever it was, 640 billion. And uh, a lot of people were disappointed because they didn't win. <laughs> I had, had even a few people pray about it. They were telling me, I'm praying that I win that lottery. I'll, all kinds of things I'll do with that lottery. You have you ever looked at the chances of winning the lottery? It's just amazing. It's one in 176 million. You know, you, uh, the, the chances of, of, I think I was reading this, the chances of, of getting a hole in one is one in 13,000. Now, um, some of you have had hole in ones. I haven't even been close, all right? But some people have, have had hole in ones. But you know what the, the, the likelihood of, of uh, getting hit in lightning is? It's one in 576,000. You know what it is to uh, the likelihood of becoming an astronaut? One in 12 million. I have someone on my block who, who has vending machines. You know what it, the, the, the likelihood of being crushed to death by a vending machine? One in 112 million. But the likelihood of winning the lottery is one in 176 million. You know who's making money on the lottery? You, you know, I, 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 the statistic I read was... To have a $640 million jackpot, there was an investment made by people of $1.5 billion. That money doesn't come out of the air. That comes from everyone putting those money, and only one out of $176 million are going to get that. I was reading even more shocking thing. Uh, can you imagine this? 300 Danish lottery players accidentally told they were billionaires. The Danish... State-run lottery says it accidentally sent letters to 300 Kino winners, falsely informing them that they had each won 28 billion kroner. You know what 28 billion kroner is? Five billion dollars. And then they had the happy experience of writing them a letter and saying, "Sorry, <laughs> you got nothing." And they said, "Well, you know, it's, it's amazing. Some of them were kind of furious about that." Now we can be disappointed all kinds of things here on this life. But there's one place you don't want to be disappointed. That's when you face God. And you have to stand before him and say, God, will you accept me? See, this is what Easter is all about. That we would believe. That we would repent. And that we would be convinced. Are you in the Easter story? We can hear it, but we're really not in it until we believe, we repent, and we're convinced. I want to give some of you this morning an opportunity to do that. I want to give you the opportunity to to get in the Easter story. To be part of God's eternal plan. To to come into a relationship with Him. It's, It's all about having a relationship with the living God. Who promises much more than any lottery could ever give you. The other statistics I read, 80% of people who win the lottery are bankrupt within five years. This is so much better. Return on investment when God deals with your sin. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
If you'd like to get in on Easter, to experience the life that only God can give you, if you'd like to experience forgiveness of sin and a life that, that He can lead, would you just raise your hand at this moment? No other hand looking around. If you'd really like to know Christ in a personal way, when I pray this prayer, a number of you, I want you to pray this and really mean it in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from living my own life to turning to live for you. I'm convinced that Jesus is all he said he is. I want to follow him with all my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. If you made that prayer for the very first time and like to find out more about what it means to, to live for Christ, on those uh, bulletins that we shared with you in the beginning, there's a response card. Just put your name on the fact we'd like everyone to put their name on. I'd like to pray for each one who comes each Lord's Day. And, and just put a cross on the back. And we'll try to uh, get you some material that would be really helpful. Today is a great day of celebration. And as we continue to celebrate Easter, we invite you as we uh, give unto the Lord this morning and then as we continue to worship Him through song, to remember that God is good and God is good forever.